Hey Conjurers, I'm Sham. And I'm Steph. Fathers are given the role of being the backbones of the family. They're the ones that children run to for protection. Some kids even look at their father as their first love. You may have heard of the Watts family story this past year. Well, before the Watts family, there was the Longo family. Behind this picture-perfect family was something so sinister that no one saw coming. Christian Longo, also known as Chris, and Mary Jane Baker met because they were both members of the same Jehovah Witness congregation in Michigan since their teenage years. They both came from conservative families that took their religion very seriously. In the spring of 1993, when Chris was 19 and Mary was 25, they decided to get married. By all accounts, they were known to have the most beautiful marriage that a lot of women in town actually envied. Chris was taking her on trips, surprising her with flowers and special dates. He completely spoiled Mary Jane and showered her with love. He even purchased a 3.5 carat ring for her that was way more than he could afford. Chris purchased all of this on credit cards. He used credit cards to purchase everything until eventually he maxed them all out before their first child, Zachary, was born. Little did anyone know, Chris actually had a bad habit since his early teen years of putting cards in other people's names. He was even stealing money from places of employment to pay rent and keep up with his luxurious lifestyle he so desperately wanted. Over the next three years, the couple would have two more children, Sadie and Madison. Living beyond your means is always a slippery slope. Not to mention cheating people to get what you want. Red flags already. I've never done the research, but with today's technology versus the 90s, it can't be that easy now to put cards in someone else's name. <laughs> I have no idea. I've never looked into that myself. <laughs> so did having kids change his ways at all? Chris began searching for a job that could support his now large family. He took a job at a company that distributed the New York Times magazines. He ended up thriving there and even climbed the ladder to eventually become a manager. This job caused Chris to develop an appreciation for the New York Times. At the time, one of the journalists that was consistently featured was Michael Finkel. He was their top writer and put out articles that involved a lot of traveling to write about things like war and slavery. Chris became obsessed with Michael. He began memorizing all of his articles and would often dream about what it would be like to have Michael's life, where he got to travel around the world and share his adventures with everyone through his stories. All Chris ever wanted was the finer things in life. However, he quickly realized at the end of the day, he wasn't where he would like to be in life. He decided he was done working for someone else, and at the age of 25 years old, he opened up a construction cleanup business with his brother, which appeared to be going well. According to Piers, the Longo family was living it up. They purchased nice cars, ate at fancy restaurants, and were even going on expensive vacations. He even convinced family members that his business was becoming very profitable and convinced them to invest thousands of dollars into it. Chris was hiding the fact that his business was actually going under. He not only spent all of the money family members gave him as an investment, he was also racking up credit card debt and couldn't keep up with paying them off. He went as far as forging checks from his clients. One of the wildest things I read 
was that he was keeping fake IDs around and went to a local dealership to test drive a car and never brought it back. This guy is brazen. Did he really think he could get away with this stuff long term? I mean, his parents had to know about his history, so why not check to see if his company is actually bringing in money other than his word? Him driving that car off the lot and not returning it is insanely risky, and he would have been better off pretending to buy a car from someone else off Craigslist and taking it. (laughs) They caught him with the stolen car, right? Now, as epic as it would be for him to get away with something like that, his joyride didn't last long. Soon after, he was pulled over with the entire Longo family in the car and was arrested for stealing the car and forging over $30,000 in checks. Chris was lucky because after explaining his struggles as a father who has to support his family, he wasn't given a prison sentence like most people would be given. He used the charm and attraction he was known for and got off with a slap on the wrist. In September of 2001, Chris was given probation and had to pay restitution. His wife was under the same impression as everyone else when it came to her husband's success until the day of his arrest. Chris ended up giving her the exact same excuse he gave the cops and promised to never do it again. Chris may have gotten away with his supposed one-time crime with the cops, but that didn't mean everyone would give him that same privilege. He got seriously lucky. That is a very light punishment for fraud of that magnitude. I mean, his status, gender, and race alone most likely helped the situation. Most likely. So you said his charm wouldn't work on everyone. Who didn't let him off the hook? His church ended up finding out about what he had been up to and kicked him out. One of the many things you are not allowed to do as a Jehovah Witness is commit a crime, especially multiple crimes. Once you are removed from a Jehovah Witness congregation, you aren't allowed any form of communication with its members. Mary Jane was one of those members, but due to her being Chris's wife, she was also shunned. Mary's family, however, went against the church's rules and still kept in touch with her. This was a major change for the Longo family, and with massive changes comes some resentment. Their marriage became a little strained. At one point, Mary came across an email Chris had written to another woman. In this email, he actually discussed his marital issues with Mary Jane. He not only discussed their problems, but he also boldly mentioned leaving her. He said things like he had lost interest in his wife after they had kids. He even shared some jealousy he had over how much time and energy she was giving to the kids over him. He ended up telling Mary that him and this other woman never had anything physical. Okay, emotional cheating is still cheating. But seriously, he's jealous over how much time and energy she dedicates to their kids. What a baby. Grow up, man. I mean, that alone has me side-eyeing him. What a weirdo. These are your children that you decided to have with her, not another woman or man, you know, like you're actually doing. So did Mary Jane forgive him or leave him? Mary Jane reacted in a way that isn't uncommon. She was willing to try to make her marriage work in any way she can for the sake of her children and the vows that they took. Mary Jane was doing everything she thought he wanted, giving him more attention, compliments, and really catering to his every need. Soon after, the family decided it was time to pack up and leave town. Chris has stated there's way too much negativity in Michigan and he just wants to start over somewhere else with his family. Even though Chris had yet to pay back what the court had ordered him to, and leaving would be a violation of his probation, he planned to leave regardless. In order to do this, Chris needed money, 
and he quickly went back to his old ways and took out a card in his father's name and spent over $100,000. No one is safe from this guy. He stole money from his own parents. He clearly doesn't know the meaning of hard work for your money. And not like 20 bucks or even 100 bucks. This man stole a whole down payment on a home type of money as a known (laughs) criminal. Right? Okay, so he's violating his probation. Where did they go? The Longos decided their next destination was Toledo, Ohio. To Mary Jane's surprise, they weren't moving into another house or apartment. The place Chris had picked out for his family of four to live was an old warehouse. His family was stuck sleeping on cots and figuring out how to cook meals in a place that didn't even have a kitchen. He ended up filling the warehouse with stolen goods and unnecessary purchases. Who's to know if Mary Jane was putting the pieces together, but her family from Michigan hadn't heard from her and became very worried. It was available to the public that Chris had violated probation and had a warrant out for his arrest. At this point, they were so determined to find her that they drove the hour to Toledo and searched until they noticed the Longo family dog out in front of the warehouse. Instead of taking the out and going back with her family, Mary Jane decided to follow her husband and they skipped out of town again overnight, leaving everything behind. Mary Jane's family ended up trying to contact her again, but by the time the Longo family left Toledo, Mary's phone was completely turned off. Fearing for not only Mary Jane's well-being, but the children's, her family filed a missing persons report. I get sticking with your man through hard times, but this is taking it a bit too far for me. I mean, thou shall stay with a cheating man that also steals and commits fraudulent crimes is not part of the wedding vows, unless I miss something. (laughs) (laughs) That certainly wasn't a part of mine. (laughs) A few weeks later in November, Mary Jane's sister received a postcard from her sister that was addressed from South Dakota. Mary Jane stated that she was sorry for not reaching out, but they moved and they're okay and she'll be in touch. This postcard didn't ease any of her family's minds. If anything, it made them worry even more. Her sister didn't understand how she found the time to mail a postcard instead of simply picking up the phone and calling her. Mary Jane's family ended up showing the postcard to the police as evidence. Since Mary Jane was an adult and left willingly, the cops weren't as concerned as her family. To them, Mary Jane just seemed like a loyal wife who decided to follow her husband wherever he wanted to go. The postcard was enough for the police to believe that Mary Jane was fine. This postcard actually ended up backfiring because it was enough proof of Mary Jane's well-being that the police closed her missing persons report. Little did they know, this would be the last time anyone would hear from Mary Jane again. Oh, man. That makes sense on part of the police, but her family must have been so upset. I mean, I can't blame the police at this point, because by the sounds of things, she does sound okay at the time. So, hold on. Do we know anything else about this Chris guy? Yeah, so a little on Chris's background. He was born on January 23rd in 1974 in Michigan. His life was pretty typical. He had a very normal childhood. He had happily married parents and grandparents that doted on him. There is no record of abuse he had to endure or bullying. He attended church and grew up in a faith-based home. This was until the age of 10 things started to change for Chris. He started hanging out with older teens so he could get out more and experimented with drugs and drinking. 
Instead of working for things in life, Chris did everything in his power to get what he wanted by conning and cheating people out of it. By the age of 16, he started stealing credit cards, checks, and selling stolen goods such as tires and car parts. Chris felt he was too privileged to work for anything. His mentality was, why go to work when you can make the same amount of money the easy way? By the age of 20, he was opening up credit cards in other people's names, bank accounts, possessed fake IDs linked to those accounts, stealing mail, and depositing checks he had stolen and putting them in fake business accounts. He started early. Sounds like a spoiled little brat. He sounds like he never had to work a day in his life. He literally had it all, and he was just searching for problems. Some people are just never satisfied. Clearly. We will get back to his run from the law after this short break. Two weeks after Mary Jane's sister received that postcard, on December 19th of 2001, in Waldport, Oregon, a fisherman at the Alsley River noticed something floating in the water. As he took a closer look, it appeared to be a young boy's body that looked to be around four years old, with no clothing to cover him in just his underwear. The only thing police were able to gather at the time was that he appeared to be clean, healthy, well-fed, and had no obvious injuries. There was no clear cause of death, no clues as to who he was. Even after sharing this information with the media, no one came forward to claim the young boy. Police did the next best thing they could. They began knocking on doors of the nearby community south of Newport, Oregon. They even posted flyers and released photos to the media in hopes that someone would know where the boy came from. Shortly after the photos were released, a woman named Denise Thompson called and told police the boy they found is Zachary Longo. I'm glad someone recognized him, but that's so sad. I can't even imagine. Zachary was just a baby. That poor baby. Cases like this with little kids involved always hits me hard. I mean, who is this Denise girl anyways? They barely knew anyone in Oregon and couldn't have met that many people in the short time they were there. As it turns out, Denise worked with Chris at a local Starbucks where he worked as a barista. She stated that Chris and his wife had only moved to Yaquina, Oregon, six months ago. Denise became close with the Longos, even going as far as babysitting their three children, Zachary, Sadie, and Madison. According to what Chris told Denise, Mary Jane was planning on taking the kids and abandoning him. She knew Chris was a devoted husband and father, so when he didn't show up to his next scheduled shift, Denise figured he had just taken the breakup pretty hard. Police ended up going to the Longo residence for a welfare check. Inside the condo, it looked completely undisturbed, as if the Longos had just stepped out. It's important to mention that this wasn't just any condo. It was a one-bedroom condo that was located on the water. This was a surprise to police because these condos were expensive, and Chris's only source of income was what he was making at Starbucks. All their possessions appeared to still be there. Once the police were able to reach the landlord, he told them that the only reason he agreed to let the Longos rent the condo was because Chris told him he had a second income working for a telephone company. However, he saw that was a mistake now because they were behind on their rent. Oh, that definitely sounds like the works of a scheming Chris. Yeah, that tracks with his previous con. (laughs) This is all still very sketchy, though. I would assume because of how they found Zachary, they knew that they had to find the other family members. Yeah. The Oregon State Police immediately reached out to the FBI to start a nationwide search for the rest of the Longo family. 
They went back to the area Zachary was found in and sent divers into the water to search for any clues. It was there that they found Sadie's body near the Lint Slow Bridge, weighted down with a pillowcase full of rocks tied to her ankle. They also found another pillowcase full of rocks nearby, which they assumed was meant to hold down Zachary's body before it had broken free and was found floating on the surface of the water. So now two bodies were found, but they were still missing the three remaining members of the Longo family. Oh my gosh, that makes sense, but what a terrible way to go. I really hope they weren't alive before being placed underwater. Me too. I personally have a fear of drowning, so the thought of those babies dying that way is terrifying. Oh, same. So this is major news, and they need to find Madison. Where is Madison? (laughs) Please tell me someone saw something. As soon as the public was notified of this tragic news, the community started calling into the tip hotline. One witness stated that he had seen someone at the bridge the night of the murders. He said the car was parked, and when he went up to see if the guy needed any help, the man in the driver's seat told him that he was just letting the car cool down. However, the only thing the witness was able to provide was the description of the man in the car and that he was in a red minivan. The little information he provided was enough to match the description to Chris Longo. The last tip to come in was from a housekeeper who worked at the hotel where the Longos stayed when they first moved to Oregon. She found it very suspicious that when she was cleaning the room, she found the family's birth certificates, other important documents, family photos, and Mary Jane's driver's license in the garbage can. Once investigators uncovered his crimes in Michigan, they soon discovered that Chris wasn't the all-American dad he showed the people around him. He had a dark past. I find it weird that they didn't find Chris's license or birth certificate. And that was at the hotel before they moved into the condo. Super suspicious. Almost like he knew she wasn't going to be around to use them or for some reason wanted to completely wipe Mary Jane's identity. Right. The investigators had to figure out what could have led to the death of these two young children and what was the fate of Madison and Mary Jane. So they started trying to put together the pieces of the days before the discovery of Zachary's body. Co-workers shared that Chris told them he was only working at Starbucks because he liked coffee. And similar to the story he told his landlord, he actually was a very successful man and had a fortune from another job working with an internet company. The truth is, he only had money from Starbucks and it wasn't enough to support his family of five, pay rent, or even have enough groceries to feed his children. I mean, I'm more upset that his coworkers believed that. <laughs> like, seriously, he just enjoys making those pumpkin spice lattes and peppermint lattes because he <laughs> likes coffee. <laughs> With a fortune, you can buy a Starbucks, <laughs> right? No one works as a barista because they like coffee. People shop at Starbucks because they like coffee. You know that one person in your life that just lies and you let them lie because that's all they're capable of doing? That's Chris. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly seems like it. Okay, listen to this. On December 16th of 2001, Chris stood on the balcony of his condo looking out towards the water as he was coming to terms with the fact that he and his family would be evicted again. He had no intentions of telling his wife and would later state, this night was the beginning of the end. Eleven days later, on December 27th, divers would be sent to search the waters near the Longo condo. That's where they would find the missing body of Mary Jane and Madison. The bodies were found in two suitcases, one of which had human hair floating out of it. 
This suitcase contained Mary Jane, who was nude and by appearances the cause of death was strangulation, indicated by the bruises around her neck in the shape of hands. The second suitcase contained Madison's body, along with a dumbbell to weigh her down and clothing. It was clear to police that Chris had murdered his entire family, and the very next day it was made public that he was wanted for the murders of his wife and children. He even appeared on the FBI's 10 most wanted list. I mean, it's obvious it was him. If it wasn't Chris, who else would want to harm his family in a state where they have no potential enemies? No one else benefited from their deaths except for Chris. And then he ran. I hope they find this guy quick. He's known for leaving a trail. The hunt for Chris Longo was now in full force. They got a lead when Chris applied for a job at a Starbucks located in San Francisco, California. That's about 10 hours from his condo in Oregon. They sent agents there to arrest him, but he never showed there again. The next thing they found was that he had bought an airline ticket to Cancun, Mexico with a layover in Texas on a stolen credit card. Now that he was out of the country, the FBI had to contact the authorities in Mexico to help locate Chris. The Mexican authorities put up flyers of Chris around Cancun and set up a hotline to call if anyone spots him. This helped because 48 hours later, two people in Cancun called the hotline. The first one was a tourist from Canada that said he saw Chris in Cancun. The other person to call in was a Mexican tour guide. He said that he took Chris on a snorkeling tour, but was told his name was Mike. Since the tour guide took who he knew as Mike back to his camp, he was able to provide the exact location of where he was staying to the authorities. Finally, they got this asshole. Oh, but wait. What are you talking about? They found him. It's a wrap. Even though they finally had Chris's location, they had to work between two different countries and make sure the laws were in place to finally catch him, which takes time. So they did all they could do in the meantime, which was to keep him under surveillance. During this time, they had seen Chris scuba diving, smoking pot, visiting bars, and even flirting with women. The locals knew him as Mike Finkel, which if you recall, earlier Sham mentioned a reporter from the New York Times known as Mike Finkel, who Chris was fascinated with. Well, once Chris made his way to Cancun, that was the name he felt fit him best. What a dumb idea. That's a pretty famous name at the time. He didn't think that that would send out any red flags. (laughs) Right? You couldn't pick a more under-the-radar name to steal? (laughs) I mean, at what point is his little party over and he's held accountable for taking four lives? Two weeks later, on January 14th of 2002, almost a month after his family's remains were found, Chris Longo was finally taken into custody. When the federal agents from Mexico and the FBI went to arrest him at his cabana, he was nude, smoking marijuana, and laying in bed with a German photographer he had recently met at a hostel. Chris's trial began on March 10th of 2003. He originally pleaded not guilty to all charges. He later decided to plead guilty to killing Mary Jane and Madison, but not Sadie and Zachary. He had many conflicting confessions, but ultimately settled on the typical blame my wife defense. Oh God, what could he possibly blame her for? People like him always find a way to blame everyone else for their problems instead of taking responsibility for the consequences of their actions. Go ahead and tell me what he came up with while he was living his best life in Mexico. Okay, this was Chris's story. 
He claimed he came home from work to find Zachary and Sadie gone. Mary Jane was walking around the condo acting erratic. Madison was on the bed, laying there lifeless, and it was then Mary Jane admitted to killing the older kids and putting them in the water. He then started strangling Mary Jane in a fit of rage. After he killed Mary Jane, he noticed Madison gasping for air and decided to end her suffering by finishing her off. This was not convincing enough for the jury to believe. It only took four hours before they found him guilty of all four counts of murder. He was sentenced to death, but because Oregon has a probation period when it comes to the death penalty, Chris Longo is being held at the Oregon State Penitentiary. Well, I'm just thankful the jury is smarter than his former co-workers at Starbucks. <laughs> I'm sorry. The baby was gasping for breath, and instead of trying to save her, he just finished her off? That's just so messed up. It's disgusting. Did he ever come clean about what really happened, or did he just stick to blaming it all on Mary Jane? Okay, so you remember that reporter, Mike Finkel, who Chris stole the identity of? Yeah. Well, he ended up visiting Chris and built a relationship with him, enough for Chris to trust him. Eventually, years later in 2011, Chris came clean and admitted the truth about what happened that night. He told Mike that he had actually planned how to kill his family while he was working that day. He said the pressure of providing for his family became too much and he wanted to send them to a better place. The confession Chris gave this time was entirely different. According to him, this is what actually happened. He got off work and went home. He began making love to Mary Jane and it seemed like the perfect opportunity to kill her. He put his hands around her throat and began to strangle her. He then moved on to his next victim, Madison. He strangled the two-year-old to death but decided not to kill the other two children in the same manner because it was too upsetting for him to do it again. So he packed Madison and Mary Jane's bodies into suitcases and threw them into the water. He then took Zachary and Sadie out to the red minivan while they were sleeping. He brought along two pillowcases and on the way to Lint Slow Bridge stopped to fill up the pillowcases with large rocks. Once they were at the bridge, he pulled over and quietly opened the doors because he didn't want to wake the children. One at a time, he took the kids out of the car seats, tied a pillowcase to their ankles, and dropped them into the water. He then headed to his company Christmas party, rented a movie, worked a shift at Starbucks, and played volleyball. He stayed in town until the discovery of Zachary's body. Now, I can believe this story. Makes more sense based on what we know about him. What was the actual reasoning, though? Like, what made him snap? Chris Longo's excuse for murdering his entire family was so they wouldn't have to deal with him failing to provide for them and Mary Jane wouldn't discover that he had been deceiving her for years. Today, Chris is still being held at the Oregon State Penitentiary on death row. We may never know what causes a man like Chris to kill his entire family. Not being able to financially support them or wanting to avoid lawyer fees for a divorce will never be enough of an excuse to commit such a horrendous crime. Chris committed the most selfish act of all by taking away any chance of his children having a future, even if he's no longer in the picture. If someone doesn't fit your lifestyle, the best thing you can do for them is leave. The National Center on Domestic Violence, Trauma, and Mental Health provides training, support, consultation to advocates, mental health, and substance abuse providers, legal professionals, and policymakers. 
They work to improve agency and system level responses to survivors and their children. Their work is survivor defined and rooted in principles of social justice. If you are a victim of domestic violence or know someone who is, go to www.nationalcenterdvtraumamh.org or call 312-726-7020 for more information. To view images, information, and sources from this case, visit our website at crimeandconjure.com. Research and writing for this episode was done by Stefan Sham. Editing of this episode was done by Denver Fortner Productions with music by Jordan Alina. Be sure to check out our Instagram at Crime and Conjure Podcast for our question of the week. Sham, what is our Conjure tip of the week? This week we have Green Jade. This is a powerful emotional balancer, nurturing and bringing peace and purity into your life. It helps by removing negative thoughts and energy. Green Jade promotes unconditional love, serenity, clarity of the mind, and courage and wisdom. Jade is believed to be a stone of luck, prosperity, and friendship. It's also a protective stone that keeps you from harm. That is a beautiful and very helpful stone to have around. Thanks, Sham. We'll be back next week with another episode. Until Until next time, stay vigilant, conjurers. conjurers.